There's more to life than the 24-hour news cycle. Break out of the routine. You're listening to The John and Kathy Show on 101.5 WORD. John Kistler is with us. John is um, he's a writer. He's also an animal advocate, which is why he joins us. He thinks about the natural world from a biblical perspective, has written voluminously about so, and uh, joins us here on a monthly basis. John, uh, we welcome you back to the show. How are you today? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. All right. So the idea of animal sacrifice. I mean, you know, when you come on here, we talk about animals in all sorts of different regards, whether God cares about animals. We talk about, you know, what our responsibilities are as far as stewards of the earth, you know, to care for the physical planet, but also for the animals that are on it. But now you're bringing up an issue that is difficult to talk about. Yes, but... I don't want you to think that it's as dark as you thought it was earlier. It's not going to be nasty like the food industry. We're not going to talk about every gory detail about sacrifice. My purpose is to explain why yeah, it's an important subject. sacrifice is important and why we should even talk about it. Sure. The reason we have to talk about it, there's two reasons. For one thing, a lot of animal lovers are overly sympathetic, and I'm not against sympathy, obviously. The trouble is, is when you start equating your feelings of sympathy for an animal to, as Any animal being harmed or killed is cruelty. You see, cruelty, by definition, is sinful. Cruelty, the way I define it, is causing pain or hardship through unethical actions. Mm -hmm. So that would be cruelty. That's Mm -hmm. wrong. But animal sacrifice is not cruelty. Just because you kill an animal does not mean you are cruel to that animal. And that's particularly the case here because God commanded that we kill animals. So it can't be sinful. Mm-hmm. If yeah. God commanded. Command. Okay, so let's take a step back. So for people listening who've never cracked the Bible and they're thinking, what kind of, what is this animal, animal sacrifice thing? Uh, let's go back and talk about the story, about wh- what animal sacrifice was and how it figures into the story of God and people. Sure. We'll, we'll do that more in the second segment because I just want to explain in the introduction as to why we're talking about it. The other reason we're talking about this is because the latest animal rights um, – from the Christian point of view, a lot of them are writing that the Bible is full of corruptions and lies, and that, in fact, wicked, hungry, gluttonous priests wrote all that stuff about sacrifice in the Old Testament, and that God never commanded sacrifice, it's just these wicked priests stuck it in there. Hmm. Now, then they say the apostles followed that up by promoting meeting of eat, eating of meat to get more Gentiles to join the church. So the New Testament is corrupt, too. Hmm. So the latest animal rights angle toward getting Christians in their groups, is to say that the Bible is full of lies. And that's a very problematic position for any Christian to take. We believe that God has protected the Bible and the scriptures so that what we have today is a clear and true transmission of what he intended. Yes. So we we need to talk about that and this issue because there are a lot of new animal welfare books coming out by quote-unquote Christians who some of them are my friends, but they literally believe the Bible is full of lies. And we can't go with that. No. So it's important, though, John, that we understand animal sacrifice in the Old Testament. Why? Because it shows the character of God. It shows us uh, the problem we have as people is not only too much sympathy sometimes, but this idea that God is all love, and the loving God would never command you to kill animals. But we forget that God is also a God of justice, and he hates sin. And so the whole system of sacrifice, we're going to talk about Jesus a lot today, and that's good news, not bad news, and not horrible news. But the purpose of sacrifice is to make us right with God. Is to bridge the gap. Exactly. Between... So we'll discuss exactly how that worked in the past and how it works now. All, All right. right. So the perfection of God and the bridging of the gap to us, the sinful human. 
We'll take a quick break. Come back. John Kistler, how to be right with God, from, especially from an Old Testament perspective and animal sacrifices. That's ahead. Stick around. Hello. This is Jerry Farwell, Jr. W-O-R-D. Writer and animal advocate John Kistler is back with us. We're talking about um, animal sacrifices and uh, the New Test- or the Old Testament. John, put us in place here. How does this work? The, the idea of animal sacrifice to a lot of people is very strange. Yes, and you'll be surprised at where it starts. Let's see if you can guess, guess this, uh, the answer to this difficult, tricky question. W- what was the first death on earth in the Bible? The first death on earth. According to the Bible. The okay, serpent? I would... Nah, he didn't I, die. Okay, I would say it's um, Abel. Okay, that would be your normal standard answer. But that's wrong, apparently. Well, it's the first human death. Oh, It's not okay. the first animal death. First animal death. Oh, it was the sacrifice that Abel made. Oh, no, even before that. In the Garden of Eden. Here, we'll talk about this. I caught you. <laughs> uh, in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus is walking through the Garden of Eden calling for Adam and Eve. Where are you? Remember that? Yes, yeah, sure. And they're hiding. They've made fig leaf clothes for themselves. Yes, they're yes. hiding because they're ashamed. And maybe they're afraid Jesus is going to kill them. Because you remember what God said. If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you, shall you surely will die. surely die. Now, what it says there, though, is not does not mean you will die immediately or I'm going to execute you. It says it twice. You will die. That's why it says surely die. When dying and die go together, what it means is you will start dying. You will begin the process of death. So it it wasn't that Jesus was going to kill them as soon as he saw them when they found out they sinned. But the very first sacrifice was Jesus making clothes. Oh, yes, that's right. So an animal had to die for that process. Many animals, because we believe they were probably lambs. How many lambs would you have to kill to make two adult clothing pieces? I don't know. What if Jesus was your tailor? Five or six, seven or eight. Now, the reason, it doesn't say lambs. All it says is he made for them animal skins to cover them. But we believe it was lambs for a number of reasons. One reason is that Jesus is always called the Lamb of God who would sacrifice himself. And so this is the very first sacrifice, and it's symbolic, showing Mm -hmm. that just as Jesus covered Adam and Eve with with the lamb's blood, he will cover us with his own lamb's blood. That's one reason. The other reason is, is that Abel, the very first guy, very first boy, raised flocks of sheep. Why would you raise flocks of sheep? Because Jesus showed you how to make clothes out of Oh, yeah. And Abel sacrificed. Cain's sacrifice was not acceptable. Abel sacrificed a lamb. So this is why I believe it's pretty clear and at least implied that Jesus was the first killer on earth. He was the first killer, and he was also the, the last sacrifice. It's an oh, interesting first and last. That surely is. Now, Boy, that's that's really thought provoking. I have always loved that part of the Genesis story because Adam and Eve did exactly what God told them not to do. Mm-hmm. And yet God is the one who made clothes for them to cover them. So yeah. God, from the very beginning, God was Loved making us. a way to cover us when we were the ones who had strayed in the first place. But I never considered that that was at at the expense of an animal. The blood of the lambs in Eden was the very first substitutionary death in the Bible. It was the first animal sacrifice. It's not the same kind of sacrifice you see in Moses with a burnt offering. Jesus apparently didn't burn them as far as we know, but um, he, he killed them. And this is a case of animals substituting for our sin. And the reason is, is because of blood. We need to talk about blood in the Bible. Okay. I'm, so I'm going to read you several verses. 
Paul gets attacked the most by animal rights people because he most clearly shows why sacrifice was important and necessary. So you think of uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. If someone sins, if you sin or I sin, death is the penalty. Okay, But how do we get that fixed? How can God forgive us? Romans 3.25, through his faithfulness, God displayed Jesus as the place of sacrifice where mercy is found by means of his blood. In other words, Jesus is the sacrifice and is the blood that covers for our deaths. And just so you know, Paul isn't the only one. People blame him, but 1 Peter 1.19, you were liberated by the precious blood of Christ like that of a flawless, spotless lamb. So the reason the lambs had to die is because there had to be a death for the sins we commit. Hmm. And in Genesis chapter 9, when Noah makes the sacrifices and the rainbow comes down and God says this is the symbol, God says, you can now eat meat and life is in the blood. You will not eat meat with the blood because life is in the blood. That's the life that we have that is sacrificed. The animal dies so that we may live. And the uh, last verse I want to quote is Hebrews 9.22. Everything is cleansed by blood according to the law. There is no forgiveness without blood being shed. So the reason for animal sacrifice is that in order for you to be forgiven, someone has to die. And God came up with this idea that sinless animals can take our place. Now, it's not that the animal in itself has any power to forgive you. You know, the animal isn't a god. It's not even an angel. The reason it can be substituted, it's sort of the first edition of the gospel. The death of the lambs is the down payment God accepts looking forward to when Christ fulfills all of that. So all of those animal sacrifices had no good on there in themselves. They only had good because Jesus would infuse all of those sacrifices with his own blood. So it's just how Old Testament people got forgiven. If I sin, what I had to do in the Old Testament was find a bull or a sheep or a goat or some birds, depends on my poverty level or wealth. I take it to the tabernacle. They check it, make sure it's pure and clean, not uh, blemished or broken or hurt. You take it to the altar. You tie it to the horns of the altar. The man himself takes the knife and cuts the animal's throat gets blood all over him. The priest takes the blood and sprinkles it all over you and all over the altar and then cuts it up and burns some of it and gives keeps some for himself and he gives some to the guy to take home to eat. So back then, assuming you were fairly poor, the only time you ate meat is when you made a sacrifice. And so you'd be thinking as you cooked that meat, this is because I sinned. I had to kill this animal and get blood all over me because I sinned. It's a reminder. It's how God shows you that you are a wicked sinner, but I've got a way to save you, and I'll forgive you because of blood. They didn't understand that Jesus was coming. That's still pretty hidden to them, but that's what it was all about. Wow. So what about the man who who does the, the deed itself? What was his position? How did he find that job? Oh, no. Uh, in most cases, it was the giver himself. It was the father or the head of the family. I see. So the priest didn't do the killing necessarily. Now, perhaps in the temple, when things were really busy, maybe they didn't have time for every guy to do it himself. There were Levites who could help. But in general, uh, in the tabernacle at least, you did it yourself. Was it like an assembly line? I mean, one person after another? Yeah, just a big long line of blood. What must that have looked like? It must have been, been a like? horror show. But, the, you know, I, when you think about it for a while, you see it would drive the point home. 
Surely it would, yes. You know, I just heard Anthony Bourdain interviewed a couple days ago. Anthony Bourdain mm-hmm. is a um, is a best-selling, no- uh, not a novelist, he's chef. a best-selling writer. He's also a chef, and he also is a TV personality. But he was talking about his recent trip to Vietnam. He hadn't been to Vietnam in maybe 20 years or so. And he was talking about being received into this community for a celebration. And, you know, he was, he's an American. He was mm-hmm. a big star. Mm-hmm. So it was a big deal to have him. And so when he was welcomed in, they said, you get the privilege of killing the pig <laughs> that we're all going to feast on. And Anthony Bourdain said, you know, I have spent my career cooking animals. But I've never killed an animal. But I've never killed an animal. Yeah. And he said, I'm not over it. I, it was so traumatic I had to do that once, too. I didn't kill my own animal to eat, but I had a pet ferret who got very, very sick and was having convulsions all weekend, and I couldn't find a vet who took care of ferrets. So I had to drown her myself and take her out and bury her. That was about the hardest thing I probably ever did. But, yeah, killing an animal for yourself is a whole different thing than eating an animal that's already been prepared for you. So the idea that God is teaching to the people and that he's teaching to us, because this is a part of our history, right, is that we, what we have done is worse than we think it is. Far worse. You know, we think, okay, I did something bad. I should get slapped on the wrist or spend some time on my own in the corner, <laughs> wear a or, dunce cap. Or how about this? Why can't God just forgive me? Because God is a holy God. He has to have atonement. There has to be something made right. It's, it's sort of like the law. The law must be maintained. And in order for the law to be maintained, God found an amazingly, well, just an amazing way to do it. And the fact that he accepted animals temporarily until Jesus came is brilliant. No one would have thought of that. I wouldn't have thought of that, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just how, how did God give Old Testament people forgiveness? He gave it through animals in place or in down payment of Jesus coming. Hmm. And the problem with uh, the animal rightists who deny that animal sacrifice is good, one of the things they'll do is they'll go to the prophets. And I'll read you a verse that they use the most often. It's Isaiah 66.3. The one who slaughters an ox kills a person. The one who sacrifices a sheep breaks a dog's (laughs) neck. The one who makes a grain offering offers swine's blood. The one who burns incense blesses an idol. All these have chosen their own ways and prefer detestable things. So they say, obviously, God hated sacrifice. The prophets say God hates killing oxen. It's just like killing a human. Well, they're taking it out of context completely. There are several places in the prophets that talk like this. But all they're getting at is when the people made sacrifice entirely a ritual, if I took the, the sheep to the priest and killed it and got the blood all over me and thought to myself, ha, I'm, I'm forgiven now, that's not the right heart. You have to go and do this wanting forgiveness. It's not like the animal's blood itself cures you. It's not hocus-pocus magic stuff. Animal blood is no more special than any other kind of blood. So what the prophets were attacking here is these Jews who were still murdering and stealing and cheating and then thinking they got forgiveness because they made a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Um, It's what Samuel said to Saul when Saul made some bad offerings in uh, 1 Samuel 15. Does the Lord want burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obedience to the Lord? Obeying is better than sacrifice. Mm-hmm. That's really what the prophets are getting at. It's not that they're against sacrifice and that God never commanded it. It's just that people have done sacrifice wrong. Let's take a quick break. John Kissler is with us. We're talking about animal sacrifices. 
Stick around. 101. On 101.5 WORD. John Kistler is with us in his monthly slot. We're talking about animal sacrifice in the uh, Old Testament. So if we move ahead to the New Testament, to the life of Jesus himself, um, did Jesus sacrifice animals? Well, here's the interesting point. He, it never says in the Gospels that he made a sacrifice. And the animal rights people will jump on this and say, well, obviously the Gospels would have talked about him making sacrifices if that was a good thing to do. But actually that's an argument from silence. As a good Jew, he almost would have had to make animal sacrifices. And there's three or four reasons to believe he did. And so I'll, I'll give you some of those okay. reasons. One of them is we know his parents made animal sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Joseph and Mary sacrificed turtle doves shortly after his birth. So he was raised in the Jewish sure. tradition of making sacrifices. Secondly, we believe that Joseph died soon after Jesus was, you know, 11 or 12. The last time we see Joseph is when uh, Jesus is in the temple talking mm -hmm. to the teachers. Right. That's the last time we hear of him. So assuming and presuming that most of us do that his father Joseph died, Jesus becomes the head of the household as the oldest son, and he would be required to make sacrifices on behalf of his brothers and his mother. Hmm. So unless his brothers and mother were no longer wanting to be forgiven, Jesus would have had to have made the sacrifices for them at the temple. So it doesn't say he did, but it's implied. Finally, in Mark chapter 1, Jesus heals a man who had skin disease. And he tells the man, go to the priest and make the necessary sacrifices for your cleansing. Mm -hmm. Now, in the Old Testament, to be cleansed of skin disease, once you're, you're healed, you go to the priest and you sacrifice a sheep and birds to be reunited with the community of Israel and no longer untouchable. So Jesus told a man to go make animal sacrifices. That's just about the same as sure, making a right. sacrifice yourself. Right. Jesus, not being sinful, would never tell anyone to go do something wrong. Mm -hmm. And finally, even though it's not in the Gospels, I already showed you from Genesis, Jesus did make a sacrifice in Genesis chapter 3. Mm -hmm. So Jesus was not against sacrifices. In fact, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus made the first sacrifices in Eden, and he made the last sacrifice that was ever necessary. We no longer need sacrifices. Why? Because Jesus did it himself yes, on our behalf. The ultimate sacrifice. We no longer have to kill animals because of Jesus. So it's a different perspective it, it, today in 21st century when this seems very old and archaic, the idea of animal sacrifice. It seems barbaric, mm -hmm. right? Um, and life was barbaric. Um, for many thousands of years. But it's a different perspective to think that God told us to do something and then he did it himself. I mean, it's it's a different kind of thing. All of the rulers that we know yeah. in in the history of the earth, the human rulers tell their people to do something so that they cannot do it, right? So that the leaders are different, so the rulers are different, right? So that they can, you know, uh, the leader can put all of the difficulties upon or the taxes or or whatever um, whatever leans upon the people so that the, the leaders can live in, you know, uh, luxury or some kind of fashion that's lifted. But God's economy wouldn't have it because God himself gave the ultimate sacrifice. I mean, it, it just, it puts everything in a different light. And we know that Jesus took upon himself the sins of the world, meaning that all of those animal sacrifices didn't take away anybody's sin. The animal's blood didn't do anything except make the people feel at peace with God. It gave them their temporary peace to understand that they were now right with God. Was it placebo in some way? 
In a manner of speaking, yes, mm-hmm. because it had no power of itself. It was only the power of Jesus later mm-hmm. that gave it the power. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to recognize that God has God has been teaching his people throughout history, right? And so he teaches us different things at different times, mm-hmm. which is actually why this election season to me is interesting as well, because I think, okay, what's God trying to teach the church here? And, you know, at that point in our history, humans, need, we needed to understand that what we had done was worth the death of an animal. The, I mean, uh, the lesson of the Old thing. Testament was, the penalty of sin is death, which is also, we find that in the New Testament, but God will cover it. He can find you forgiveness by the sacrifice of something blameless. They didn't realize that it would be in the future that it would be God's own son, the blameless mm-hmm. lamb, that would make that possible. So, yes, it was the, the first edition or the first stage of salvation before the final stage was brought. So was there a point after Jesus' death where people said, we no longer have to do this and this practice faded away i mean it didn't go it didn't go away overnight no it probably took a couple of decades the uh, the early church still went to the temple the apostle paul went and made sacrifices in the temple so it was still part of the jewish system but it probably was finally recognized when 70 ad came mm-hmm. along and the romans wiped out the temple there's no longer any place for sacrifice to be made they finally started realizing you know okay it's over that system is done now we say happily that Christians, we no longer sacrifice animals. There's no Christian sects that I know of that sacrifice animals. The, uh, however, the Islamics kill millions of animals every year at the Hajj. Uh, they kill sheep as, as a sacrifice. And the Hindus kill hundreds of thousands of bulls. And voodoo and animistic religions continue to kill animals. Everyone seems to have in their own mind, in our nature, we know that sin requires blood. And so it's bloody because you're wicked. That's why there has to be blood. So, But we now know that what our bodies are telling us or our minds are telling us, we don't need blood anymore because Jesus did it for us. The blood of Jesus stopped it all. Mm. Absolutely. That's fascinating. It really is. is. So no other religions, well, other religions sacrifice animals by the millions, you say, John? Yes. Huh. But we don't talk about that much. No, we don't. It's not. You don't hear about that on the news. You hear about the Hajj, but you don't notice that uh, they're killing five million sheep in three days. What happens to the five million sheep? I believe they have a big feast. They've been fasting up until the Hajj, as I, I recall, and they go to Mecca. They make the sacrifice, and then I believe they can eat it, if I remember right. Mm. All right, let's step away. What can you do with twenty-five dollars a month? W-O-R-D. Hey, welcome back. We're talking with John Kistler, who is a writer and animal advocate who thinks about the natural world from a biblical perspective. John's been schooling us today on Old Testament animal sacrifices. Mm-hmm. So, John, what are the implications? There are some very interesting sidelights to the whole idea of animal sacrifice. For one thing, it implies pretty cl- clearly that animals are innocent. They're not sinful because God mm-hmm. accepted only innocent, blameless, pure creatures. Yes. So that kind of tells you that animals are, are not sinners, at least not against God. Secondly, a lot of animal rights people say that animal sacrifice proves that Christians and Jews have no respect for animals, that we don't put any value on them. It's actually quite the opposite. We put a great deal of value upon the sacrificial mm-hmm. animals because they're bringing us, in a sense, our sense of forgiveness. So they were highly important. And in fact, many of the Jews in the Old Covenant, the word for burnt offering is olah. 
And what it means is that which rises up or what rises to God. Some people say that's just the smoke of the burnt offering rising into the sky. But other people actually believe that the sacrificial animals sort of bypassed go and went straight to heaven, that their souls were taken to heaven because they stepped in on our behalf. Hmm. So uh, the Jews held those animals in very high esteem. And so I guess my final point for this whole episode about animal sacrifice is that we should not be ashamed of it. This is not like the Spanish Inquisition or the Crusades where we were just wiping people out. This is something that had a purpose and God told us to do. And far from being ashamed of it, we need to remember that this was all along a symbol of Jesus' atonement for us. So the animal sacrifice system was the first step of Jesus coming to sacrifice on our behalf. And that's something no Christian should be Mm -hmm. ashamed of. Right. Now, you know... Isn't that fascinating? And I was thinking back as you were speaking, John, about the um, the mandate that that God set out that if you were bringing a sacrifice, it had to be a, a an animal without blemish, right? So it couldn't be an animal that was crippled or had a blemish in some way because it had to be it had to cost you something, right? So you can't bring an animal that's already dying or an animal that's already lame because that doesn't mean anything to you. Right. It has to mean something. <laughs> so the whole idea that we that people didn't care about animals, I think that the sacrificial system is the opposite of that. What it's trying to do is to is to allow humans to understand that the that a sacrifice is something that you give and it hurts, not something that you give and it's no that big there deal. There is a price to pay. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, I've I've often thought, and I've had this conversation with people over the years, people who don't yet believe in Jesus and say, you know, I don't understand why God, what's the big deal with the sacrifice and the whole blood thing? That's so weird. I mean, why can't God just forgive? And um, I often think about the idea that somebody has to pay. And, you know, in our dealings, um, you know, if if John, you know, embezzles, you know, five thousand dollars from me and Sorry. thanks a lot. And he he becomes arrested and in, indicted and we're standing in a courtroom, you know, somebody has to pay. So either if it's not retribution and he pays me back, if he's not able to pay me back, well, then I pay. Because yeah. I'm out the money, right? Some, you bear the burden of the loss. Somebody has to pay, right? There's somebody always pays, so there isn't a situation where nobody pays. It's that either either the person who did it pays, or the person who was injured against they pay. Mm-hmm. But somebody always pays. Yeah. At the end, for God, everything has to be right. That's the plan. Everything went wrong, things went bad, but God's plan is to set everything right. And for everything to be right, there has to be justice as well as mercy. Because mercy without justice is is not right. It's not righteous. Mm-hmm. It's not holy. Mm-hmm. There has to be both. And God is both. Justice and mercy. And isn't it fascinating that when we live in a, you know, a safe community, in a safe country, yeah. and you know, we have the luxury of thinking about you know, justice not being important to us because look, we, we should like God should be kind. We should be kind whenever, you know, if, if we were in a situation like many uh, people are in the Middle East right now and they have lost home and they have lost church and they have lost community and they have lost lives of loved ones or whatever, I guarantee you the idea of justice means something to mm-hmm. them, right? So it's not until we lose something precious to us that justice starts to matter. Well, we've been spoiled with such a high degree and high amount of justice that we don't recognize Mm -hmm. how much injustice there actually is in the world. Mm. We were talking about corruption in the first part of our show, right? So, yeah, right. It's all around us, but it's it's embedded into the world's DNA. But it's mostly a secret. 
with the exception of the media, which is, or I mean the t- television shows, for instance, that often promote injustice or sin, yes. for the most part it's hidden. Corrupt sins have to be hidden so that no one knows, or at least mm-hmm. you have to pretend not to know. Mm-hmm. So the corruption in politics is all hidden in, in somebody's laptops and et cetera. But the back rooms, It right? comes out eventually. It will all come out in the end, even if we don't catch them. So we've been talking about the principles of the election, John, um, and trying to swear off over the last, what, four or five weeks, actually debating the two presidential candidates, but just talking about what the principles are that we can all gain and the lessons that we can glean from and how we're, you know, each one of us is going to decide on our own how we're going to vote. What about when it comes to animal care? What about what do you know about our, our local candidates or our national candidates? Well, the uh, the national candidates for president, neither one of them will do any good for animals. Even if I could uh, just judge them on that one thing and huh. vote for one person because they wanted to help animals, neither one is. How so? The uh, Clintons are in bed with the Tysons. They basically became governor in Arkansas and president with lots of money from the meat industry, which is Tyson. So Hillary Clinton is not going to oppose the meat industry and its cruelty. On the other hand, uh, Donald Trump, pro-businessman, one of his right-hand men works with the m- meat industry. So – No animals are going to get any good about the national election. The only candidate that I'm familiar with who's been doing good for animals in our area is uh, Senator Pat Toomey. I've had some communication with his office, and we've discussed some animal issues, and he's told me about some of the bills that uh, Hmm. he's put forward opposing various types of cruelty. So uh, I'm happy to promote Toomey for the animals. Okay. John, you know, animal advocates, when you say you're an animal advocate, in some ways it's gotten a bad rap, hasn't it? Because people think, oh, you're an extremist, you're, you know, a wacko. Like the guy who dressed as the turkey uh, right, right. <laughs> laid on Grant Street last year. <laughs> I saw, I saw, yeah, right? Yeah. There's animal rights and there's animal welfare. Mm-hmm. Animal rights means animals and people are equal. You can never kill or hurt an animal. I'm not an animal rightist. I believe there are sometimes reasons to kill and hurt animals. It's not pleasurable but it's necessary or useful to man. So I would be an extreme animal welfareist is what I would call myself. I'm very much against all kinds of cruelty. I know a lot of industrialists call themselves animal welfareists. They're not. They're, they just say that because they want you to think they're nice people. They're, so I'm a welfareist, not a rightist. Hmm. So what I like about John, your, your monthly appearance here, is that you force us – to think about animals mm-hmm. the way that we care yeah, for, use, and often abuse the animals that are around us. Mm-hmm. We've forgotten about them because we don't use them anymore. Aside from pets, which are largely a sentimental love, and I have nothing against pets, we no longer have domestic use for them. We don't ride them around like horses. The mules and the oxen don't pull our carts. You know, So all we have is food and pets. So we either adore them or we don't think about them at all. Mm-hmm. And those are two extremes we should avoid. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Hey, John, thanks for being with us today. Always a pleasure to have your voice. Thank you. John Kistler, animal advocate and a writer as well. Information about John on our Facebook page, The Ride Home with John and Kathy. The conversation continues. Our podcast available each night at wordfm.com, so be sure to contact that. You can subscribe to the whole RSS feed so you don't miss any show at all. Or if you're just tuning in and want to hear one segment in particular, that's possible for you as well. Okay. I think we're all going to go home, and well, it's a lot of us, and watch Game 7. Yes, we are Game 7 of the World Series. Does it get better than that? Well, farewell to baseball. Pittsburgh's Christian Talk with John Hall and Kathy Emmons, a production of Word FM and Salem Communications.